0: Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi weekly public affairs show on KALX celebrating Bay Area innovators. I'm Lisa Kiefer, and today I'm interviewing Lisa Curtis, the founder of the mission driven company Cooley Cooley that uses the nutritious leaves of the moringa tree to solve malnutrition and poverty in developing countries. They support the farmers who grow it and put the leaves in their nutritious health bars. Welcome to the program, Lisa Curtis. Thank you. So you are the founder and CEO of Kuli What does that mean? What's Kuli
1: So we are creating an international market for Moringa in order to improve the health and livelihoods of women in West Africa.
0: What is Moringa? I don't know. I've never heard of it.
1: Yeah, most people haven't. Uh, We're the first company to introduce it as a food product um, to the U.S., so it's one of the most nutritious plants in the world. It's actually a tree And we harvest the leaves, and the leaves are even more nutritious than kale. Um, They're kind of like a multivitamin. You're getting a lot of your calcium, iron, vitamin A, vitamin C, and uh, potassium as well.
0: So there's a lot of health bars out there. How is yours different from, you know, all the other ones that are on the shelf?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So we are the only natural bar where you're getting a quarter of your calcium, iron, and vitamin A for the day. Um, So all of our bars have less than six ingredients. They're all natural, um, and they make you feel really good.
0: So what are the ingredients?
1: Um, So in our black cherry flavor, you've got cherries, dates, almonds, moringa, and a little bit of agave. In the chocolate one, you've got similar, except you add chocolate. Um, And in our crunchy almond, you just have four ingredients, dates, almonds, moringa, and a little bit of agave.
0: So is it moringa Alafera, Is that the name of the yeah, tree? Yeah, that's the full name. Why don't we know about this here?
1: <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I mean, it is eaten all across all across the tropical belt, so you find it everywhere from Africa to India to Haiti. Um, but it doesn't grow very well in the United States, um, and so most people just haven't haven't come across it. But we're hoping that same way, you know, nobody really knew about quinoa or chia seeds a few years ago that we can help introduce Moringa.
0: Well, how did you even come across this? Tell me a little bit about your story.
1: Yeah, so I first started working with Moringa as a Peace Corps volunteer in Niger, West Africa.
0: What year was that?
1: Um, That was in 2010, and I had been in my village a few months and wasn't getting a lot of nutrients in my diet, so I was actually starting to feel a little malnourished myself. I was feeling really weak and really tired and just didn't have a lot of energy. Um, and so someone in my village told me about Moringa and said, you know, this is incredibly nutritious. You have to eat it. Um, so I started eating it and did some more research, and I was like, wow, this this plant is amazing. <laughs> Everybody should know about this. You started
0: um, feeling better pretty yes, much immediately? Yeah, started wow. feeling better
1: um, and started working with some women in my village to plan a, a whole... Way to get more Moringa there um, and to encourage them to really process it in a way that preserves the nutrients. So instead of taking the leaves and boiling them for hours, actually powdering them and then adding that powder to their sauces or stews. How did you
0: know how to do that?
1: Well, so uh, Peace Corps has been doing a big push around Moringa. So Peace Corps, a bunch of different NGOs, um, even the governments of Senegal and Malawi have been really pushing Moringa as natural nutrition for the tropics.
0: And, um, and this was going on when you were there for other reasons. Yeah, what were you so doing we, in the Peace Corps?
1: Uh, I was a community you, development volunteer. So okay. actually a lot of what I did was work in the health center.
0: And that's how you heard about all of this. Yeah. What country were you in?
1: So I was in Niger in West Africa. Um, and then actually, so I was start had just started all of these Moringa projects when there was a terrorist attack. Um, so there were two two people who um two Frenchmen who got killed and in the capital city right across the street from the Peace Corps office.
0: Did you so, know these people?
1: No, I didn't know them, but it was a little terrifying. It was a bar that a lot of peace Corps volunteers went to, so they evacuated us out of the country we in like you know two days <laughs> we were we were gone um, and took us to Morocco and we basically had the option of going back and waiting four months and going on somewhere new or just ending our service there. Um, and I loved my village, and I didn't really want to go somewhere new. So I ended my service and actually went to India and started working with a social enterprise incubator. Um, and that was where I really started to think more about social enterprise and you know, kind of asking myself the question, like, why isn't anybody – doing some of this innovative work with nutrition like we've been shipping American corn over to Africa for the past 50 years and it hasn't actually really helped anyone right we have
0: this (laughs) terrible history of just dumping stuff there and nobody knows what to do with it yeah
1: exactly no
0: training or so.
1: so came up with the idea well maybe I can do something with moringa and you know maybe use that as a tool to help improve nutrition and livelihoods over there
0: so, how long did it take you to research and figure this all out and what you needed to do
1: yeah. it it it's been a it's been quite a process so i you know I got back to the u s in uh summer of two thousand eleven and started kind of thinking about it then and then found one of my best friends since I was little has been doing consumer package good consulting and taking basically you know general Mills will come to them with the idea if we want to do a breakfast shake. And then they'll formulate a product, take it through all the consumer testing, and then actually take it to market. Um, And so she was like, well, we can do it. Like, let's, you know, let's start. So we started just testing in farmers markets, seeing what different levels of Moringa people liked, um, you know, what different ingredients in a bar people liked. Um, And then last June, we did a big crowdfunding campaign and raised Fifty-three thousand to do our first manufacturing run.
0: Kickstarter or uh, Indiegogo? Indiegogo? Okay. And how long did it take you to raise that money?
1: Well, we raised 25000 in a day.
0: Oh, my so. goodness. How did you market your your um,
1: it, crowdfunding? It went viral. It was amazing. Um, so, you know, obviously we all hit up all of our friends and family, but then had a lot of people who then sent it on to their friends, who sent it on to their friends. I had this one email from my friend's mom's friend who had donated to our campaign and just said, you know, I love what you guys are doing. It actually made me cry watching your video. Keep it so up. So you had a video made. that that really, video that, yeah, that really told the story. What was
0: so um, moving about the video? Tell me about that. And <laughs> when did you make that video?
1: We made the video um, in uh, May. Okay. I yeah, I think it was moving because it was, it was a very personal story. I mean, it was it was kind of me saying... I, I went to the Peace Corps and I started working with this plant and it's amazing and i
0: you talked it, about your own malnutrition, yeah, I uh-huh. talked
1: about that and oh. talked about how this this is one of the most nutritious plants in the world and grows naturally in a lot of countries that suffer from malnutrition, but it's being really underutilized, and we have an opportunity to get more people to grow it and use it um, and do it in a way that is sustainable so, so how
0: are you doing that? I'm um, going to get deeper into that because so many times. You know, we take a product and we end up getting all of the product in the developing world. And it doesn't leave anything for the people back there. How are you managing that process?
1: No, that's a great question. Um, And one of the things we've been really careful to do is to grow more Moringa than we're actually importing here. So our main partner is this awesome nonprofit in Ghana that does a lot of nutritional education, helps women set up cooperatives to grow Moringa. Mm -hmm. Um, to use it in a way that preserves the nutrients, and to sell it locally as well as selling it to us. We're not fair trade certified yet. We should be soon, but we are paying very fair wages, and so some of these women are making up to three hundred dollars a month. Which, for reference, as a Peace Corps volunteer, I made seventy five dollars a month. <laughs>
0: and they probably—that's probably a lot in their yeah, local economy too. <laughs> Is that nonprofit checking to make sure that the practices are? clean and organic or, you know, whatever. Yeah,
1: the... so we're working on organic certification and fair trade certification. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, it all is very fair trade and organic right now, but with the certification we can prove that to everyone. So it should have that pretty soon. How
0: did you get such an astounding board um, or advisory board? <laughs> I'm looking at some of these people in the numiti, and, you know, some really great – yeah. Entrepreneurs. So they're, how did you get do that?
1: <laughs> they're amazing. Um, I don't know. We've had an incredible... Did they come to you? Knack.
0: Or what happened?
1: So, I mean, they've all come in different forms, but I think just people have kind of heard this story and then, you know, I've sat down and talked to them and they've been willing to help us. We've gotten an incredible amount of support from all different places.
0: Because it's such a big problem of being able to actually help those communities rather than just taking. So tell me about yourself. You, where did you grow up and how did you get from A to B? How did you get from wherever you grew up to Peace Corps work?
1: Uh, not a very linear path. Um, I grew up in Alameda and actually almost went to UC Berkeley, but decided that when my dad said that we could do lunch every Friday and I could, you know, live at home if I wanted, I was like, oh no, I gotta get farther away. So I went to Whitman College in Washington State and did a lot of environmental community organizing work. I actually worked with the United Nations Environment Program for a while. So I got to go to these big UN conferences and worked a lot on climate change and how do we mitigate that. And one of the things that, you know, at at a lot of these conferences, they're really frustrating, but it was also really interesting to see the perspective of India, China, Brazil, the, you know, the so-called BRIC, of them being like, well, you know, you guys have been doing this, polluting everything for the past, hundred or more years, and now we're trying to pull a billion, two billion people out of poverty, so why do we have to cut back when you've been doing this for so long? Um, and so that that kind of really sparked my interest in international development and seeing that as like, sustainable development is the way forward and the only way that we can continue to live
0: all because you're not going to stop development. <laughs> right. You're not going right. to stop
1: development, Then I don't think that we should. I mean, I don't I don't think it's fair. Yeah, so I spent a summer in Kenya um, working with a nonprofit there and actually helped to start a biodigester project. So using cow dung um, instead of rainforest trees um, for fuel. And... Yeah, I also worked in the White House for a summer. You did? Uh, For Obama? For Obama. What did you do there? (laughs) Um, I was in the political affairs office, so I was writing political briefings for the president, vice president, and first lady. Um, Yeah, I actually... That had to be
0: pretty interesting.
1: It it was pretty interesting. It was pretty high pressure. I actually messed up on one. So Arlen Specter um, was a senator from Pennsylvania and changed changed from Democrat to Republican a couple times. And I put that he was Democrat when he was Republican on one of the briefings, and Joe Biden caught it. That was, that was, (laughs) but he was really nice. But yeah, that was sort of funny.
0: So how long did that last, that intern? That was a summer. Was it an internship? Yeah, Yeah, for a
1: summer. And then, yeah, just kind of, you know, I'm always, I've always been interested in politics, but I think especially seeing the polarization of Congress right now, I was like, I don't I don't want to do this. <laughs> I would. I would rather go back and kind of do some of the international development stuff. So, applied for the Peace Corps, and then right after graduation, I.
0: You went, went straight over to Niger. To Niger? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you get to travel much when you were
1: over there? To Not other places, you were just really yeah. Okay. I traveled a bit when I was in India. Well, I
0: want to talk more about this process. Um, you got back home, and you. Where did you come up with the recipe for these kuli kuli bars? By the way. Oh yeah! I think I'm going to taste it right now because I haven't had lunch. But, hmm, wow, this is a chocolate one. It's really moist. How did you come up with the recipe?
1: Um, so Valerie actually did one of my co-founders. Mm-hmm. Oh, is she um, the
0: one you talked about earlier? Yeah,
1: she's the one with real consumer packaged good experience. We kind of did it together a lot in our kitchen, just like mixing in different things and then testing it out on friends and family, and then testing it out at the farmers market.
0: So local farmer around here?
1: Yeah, in Oakland.
0: And then how long was that process of the testing of the recipe?
1: About a year. I mean, we were all working other full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of a, a side project for a while. And at the same time as we were testing things here, like we were also developing relationships with different organizations in West Africa and sourcing Moringa and trying to kind of get that supply chain set up.
0: Are you actually flying over there frequently to work with those people or do you have someone on the ground that you trust?
1: I'm not, I'm not going there as much as I would like. Um, it is pretty pricey. I'm hopefully going there in the spring. So,
0: so you just do like, it via the computer? or
1: Yeah, we have a call with them every other week and just kind of – talk through what's going on, and then, you know, email, communication. They must
0: love you guys.
1: They're really excited about us. <laughs> well, I just saw that you
0: got picked up by Whole Foods. Yeah. Was this right after your Kickstarter yeah, um, yeah. So, made it?
1: Yeah, so we Whole Foods was the first retailer to pick us up. They actually picked us up before we had a, a manufactured product. Um, so You for, mean
0: while you were in the campaign mode itself? Yeah.
1: So they were, they've been awesome. So they started us in 10 stores, and then they've just pushed us out – Starting next month, we'll be in 20 more.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi weekly program on KALX celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today, I'm talking with Lisa Curtis, the founder and CEO of Cooley Cooley, introducing superfood bars made from moringa leaves. mean to you like what are the challenges now that you're actually getting popular
1: <laughs> yeah it's well it's a good good challenges i mean one of the things is just managing managing our our sales team like a lot of you know a lot of what we do is kind of educating people about moringa getting them to try the product and then buy it um, so a lot of in-store sampling demos and then on the west africa side like they've they're definitely able to scale up with us at least for the next year. We think they've there's enough moringa that they're growing, and uh, one of the cool things about moringa is you, you can plant it and harvest it within three months. Um, so it it's ready to go in three months. It doesn't take very long to grow. It's a short cycle. Yeah, yeah it's very good. Short. So, so would
0: you consider are there are there farms going in over there of moringa trees or yeah? So, so that's what's happening. We're working with
1: about five hundred women in a, a few different women's cooperatives. Um, And they're all growing Moringa and then um, kind of taking it to a central spot and powdering it and then sending the powdered leaves to us.
0: Okay. And this is just Niger?
1: Ghana, actually, is our main spot. We're also working a bit in Niger. Niger has been harder to export from. Niger, so it's north of Nigeria. It's a landlocked desert. Um, And so we, you know, I've been in touch with some of the women's cooperatives there and We've gotten some Moringa from them, but had a little bit of a hard time getting it out of the country.
0: So is it just one? What other countries are you looking at for export later as you grow, or are you?
1: Yeah, so we are. Um, so Ghana, Niger, Tanzania, and Nigeria are the four countries that we all have that we've developed relationships with some cooperatives.
0: Now, it also grows in other tropical areas like, so India, right?
1: Yeah, so definitely India, um, they actually don't use the leaves as much, but they do use the seed pods.
0: Oh, they do. So they've been using it for some time. I mean, is Mm -hmm. this an old...
1: It's in Ayurvedic medicine. I mean, the ancient Greeks and Romans used to eat moringa. It's, It's very... Well known in each in those culture. parts of the world, yeah. Those so, how do the they
0: use the pods? What are they? You're putting it in nutritional bars. How are they eating it?
1: So they, so the pods are kind of these long string bean looking things, and they actually put them in soups a lot.
0: Oh, for flavoring. Yeah,
1: and then in the Philippines, they make moringa pesto, which. We're hoping will be one of our products down the line. That,
0: that sounds, sounds really awesome. Sounds
1: really great. <laughs> Superfood pesto. <laughs> so,
0: has there been an interest on the part of like the Nestles of the world, these big corporations, in moringa, and if or or not, and why not? Why wouldn't they want to do something good like that?
1: So generally, what we've seen with bigger companies like General Mills and Nestle is that they're they're not usually the ones to bring something totally new to market. Because it costs them a lot in R&D to develop a product, take it through the whole process, and bring it. Um, and so they won't do anything with Moringa until you've like proven, it. proven it. And then often what they would do is try to acquire us. <laughs> or to, or of, to compete with Or you. to compete, yeah.
0: You sound like you have this a philosophy around sustainability, right? So were your parents enlightened about sustainability? Did you grow up in that atmosphere? Or just living in the Bay Area, did you pick up on this? Or did you absolutely pick it up when you were in college?
1: Yeah, it's hard to kind of pinpoint. But my parents are pretty eco-minded, you know, where our house is always cold because <laughs> nobody turns on the heat. and it's <laughs> true all around the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, high school, I have this distinct memory of my high school Bentley didn't have a recycling program, which was like very frustrating to me as this eco kid. And my mom was like, "Well, if you, you know, if you don't like it, why don't you just do something about it?" So, I started this whole cans for habitat recycling program there. That was kind of my first taste of activism. Of, you know, if you don't like it, fix it. <laughs> yeah,
0: do something about it. So I looked at your website and it's really nice. It's Thanks. really well done. Who did your website?
1: Um, so one of my co founders, so there are four of us that all are founders of Cooley Cooley. One of them is a software engineer and one's a graphic designer. So they did our website and we do sell quite a bit online.
0: What is the website, by the way? If, if some of our listeners want to know more about you and your product, where yes. would you send them? And How do you spell that?
1: K U L I, K U L I B A R.com. All Cooley one word.
0: I think you told me earlier, but tell me again, what does, was does Coolie mean?
1: Yeah, so it's a word in Hausa. It's actually this. Thing. What is, Hausa
0: is a tribe, right? Uh,
1: yeah, Hausa is a tribe. It's the, and it's also a language. It's the second most widely spoken. African language after Swahili. So Swahili is East Africa, Hausa is West Africa. Um, And Kuli Kuli is actually this peanut paste um, that in Niger is often mixed with moringa to make this really delicious snack. That's how I first started eating Moringa I was in these these coolie coolie snacks, and that was kind of the inspiration for our coolie coolie bars. Because your bars have
0: nuts in them as well. Yeah, right? they do. It's not so tasty. Peanuts. I gotta tell you, I gotta have another bite because it really is good. Oh, good. It's not dry.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is not dry.
0: Hmm, really delicious. So, are you gonna? What are you gonna be doing next?
1: So we've got a whole. We've sketched out a whole pipeline of products. I think next we will probably be looking to stay in the snack category. So something like, you know, sort of Moringa fruit leather strips, doing maybe some savory snacks. Um, And then at some point we would love to do a Moringa beverage, like a Moringa energy drink.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And so would you use the same manufacturing people to do your manufacturing for all these other coming products?
1: Yeah, different factory. You'd have a different co-packer because our co-packer just does bars. Okay, so we'd have to find somebody else who can do something different.
0: And how did you find the manufacturing people
1: Ugh, or Talked plant? to a bunch of them. So you we, did. You
0: went out and met with people.
1: Well, mostly via phone, um, okay. but like interviewed six of them. Um, And these guys were the best. I mean, they...
0: How did you even know how to do that?
1: (laughs) Google's amazing. (laughs) We found most of them online.
0: (laughs) So you learned a lot of this on your own. Yeah. The whole business process.
1: Oh, yeah. It's been a really big learning curve. But we are, I mean, like you pointed out earlier, we have some amazing advisors And so, you know, we recognized pretty early on that we are a young team, but our advisory board has been helping us a ton. So one of my philosophies is that the only failure in life is the failure to try. Um, And I think lots of people are afraid to start something or really, you know, throw themselves into their idea or their business or organization because of a fear of failure, but you know, when you when you really think about it and kind of write down, like, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, it's not all that bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: to fail. <laughs> uh, to fail. It's not bad. But I think, you know, sometimes people ask me, like, you know, why are you doing this? This is so risky. It's like, well, I think if I didn't do it, I would regret that I never tried. Even if this totally fails, I will have learned so much and have at least I, at least I tried, you know. At least I did something. I try to keep that philosophy. Because
0: so many people are afraid of just stepping out. You're, you're
1: gonna. It's hard. <laughs> you're gonna land. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, we've we've had kind of countless failures along the way, just in in doing something new. You're gonna fall down sometimes, but you just gotta get back up
0: and correct it and move on. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you have any stories?
1: I've well, I've got one that I just think proves that niger is the most hospitable country in the world so i was walking down the street and you know streets in my village were basically like mud paths full of like there was cow dung there was all sorts of stuff on in the street and i had these little flip-flops and i was going down and like you know maybe 10 or 15 minutes away from my house and my flip-flop broke The strap came out. And I was just like, ah, so frustrated. Didn't want to walk through all of the, like, mud and poop and everything. Um, And this guy on the street who I'd never met in my life takes his shoes off his feet, hands them to me, and says, oh, well, you know, why don't you walk back to your house, get another pair, and then I'll just wait here. And... (laughs) That would happen anywhere else in the world.
0: Now, did he speak to you in English? Hausa. Okay, so you're you're multilingual. How many languages? Tell me the languages you speak.
1: Um, So I'm pretty decent in Spanish, French, and Hausa. And did, English. Did
0: you know Hausa before you landed over
1: there? No, Peace so you Corps picked it up. taught us. Yeah, Peace Corps has an amazing language training program, so we picked it up really fast.
0: So you're you became fast friends with this guy that gave you the shoes, I bet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was I was just blown away. It was so great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what was the hardest part of getting this whole thing off the ground? You had your Indiegogo campaign going out and seeking advisors, what part was the hardest thing of all?
1: I think the the hardest part was actually just starting. Because we spent a lot of time talking about it and, like, you know, emailing different people and meeting with people to just kind of run the idea by them and spent way too long, like six months or something, just, like, just talking about the idea. Um, and then finally we were like, you know, let's just... Let's just try it. Let's just give it a go. Yeah. Um. And get out there.
0: And so, what was the absolute first spark thing that you did?
1: Um. So the first thing was just, you know, making stuff in our our home kitchen. Um. But then, you know, we we actually got a commercial kitchen. I was amazed at what it takes to sell food in California. Well, what
0: does it take? Tell a, me about that. A lot.
1: <laughs> so it's a it's a good amount of money. It was like over a thousand dollars. Um, for all the permits and licenses. Um, and then, you know, we had to get food safety certified. So we had a food safety certification. We had a seller's permit. We had a business license. We had a manufacturing license. And we had a health permit. Um, and so each of those took months to get. And this um, is just to have it and, at
0: the farmer's market? And just
1: to sell at the farmer's market. Wow. It was an amazing hurdle just to get there. And then once we were there, it was, you know, one of the big things that kept going through my mind is like, how do people make money doing this? <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you, you, you pay like 50 bucks to every market that you do to the people running the market. Um, and then there's all the cost of goods that you're selling. And then, you know, we didn't pay ourselves, but if we had, there would have been nothing left over. So, so it,
0: when is the point where you start making money?
1: Well, food unfortunately isn't an economies of scale business cuz you know in the US we don't like to pay a lot of money for our food products. What we've come to the conclusion is that we we just have to grow pretty quickly and have to, you know, sell a lot of places and once you have those economies of scale and manufacturing efficiencies then it it starts to get and you, a lot critical more mass
0: happens right yeah well this is just a really cool story and <laughs> i really like the taste of your nutrition bars oh good well
1: you can find them <laughs> in whole foods so <laughs> or just, berkeley bowl
0: <laughs> oh berkeley bowl as berkeley well berkeley
1: bowl as well yeah oh that's good um and drakers and soon to be molly stones too okay um well if you don't see us you should ask for us and
0: so what happens when i ask for it
1: They often make a note, Um, and a lot of these folks, a lot of these stores we've reached out to, but we want, but when people ask for it, then that shows the store that there's demand, so they're much more likely to actually put it on the shelf.
0: Okay, good to know. Well, thank you for being on the program. Yeah. I wish you a lot of luck, and I'm so excited to finish this bar because it's so tasty. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. That was Lisa Curtis, the founder and CEO of Cooley Cooley. If you have any questions or comments about the show, find us on the KALX website and drop us an email.